Malawilele, you're listening to Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific. Ko hoko ingoa, ko Elisha Phone. Coming up first... The opposition will be without a leader. Samoa's opposition leader and the party's secretary have been suspended indefinitely without pay from Samoa's parliament. Mr. Taupo was uh, an important uh, public official. He rose up the public service ranks up to the highest level. Tuvalu mourns the death of its deputy prime minister. Absolutely, people are scared that there will be uh, another eruption of, of a similar type or scale. Researchers have just finished mapping the mouth of the underwater Tongan volcano that in January produced Earth's biggest atmospheric explosion in over a century. Compared to other elections, I haven't seen this spike of violence like we've seen. We may see it later, but I'm I'm hoping it doesn't happen. Candidate nominations expected to end for the Papua New Guinea national elections later this week. The leader of Samoa's Human Rights Protection Party and the party's secretary have been suspended indefinitely without pay from Samoa's parliament. A formal complaint by Samoa's deputy prime minister was lodged against the two senior MPs, claiming they had disgraced parliament after being convicted by the Supreme Court on contempt of court charges. Moving the motion to accept a report which recommended their suspension, Prime Minister Fiamen Naomi Mata'afa told Parliament a seed of double standards had been planted by the Human Rights Protection Party over many years in power, and she says it must be weeded out. Freelance political journalist Tuia Sao Uelese Pitaia joins me now from Apia Samoa to help unpack all of this. Welcome on the show. What does this mean and why are the suspensions significant? Well, it, it basically means that uh, the Human Rights Protection Party will be without two more of their um, numbers represented in Parliament. It means two constituencies uh, will not have a say uh, in Parliament for as long as the first government maintains the suspension. Um, and uh, setting precedences, I think, um, on future happenings within Parliament, um, that if you have the numbers, you can charge anyone on any, any charge, and, and, and you get uh, the decision you want. That basically is what the decision means. It means that um, the opposition will be without a leader, um, I don't know where that would lead the party in terms of whether they will wait around and see how long the suspension is or whether they will decide to uh, find a new leader. But those are some of the, the, the issues that will um, start to come to the fore within the next couple of weeks, I think. Has this come as a shock to the people in Samoa? Well, I think you know, people who, who are used to um, the Samoan um, uh, traditional way of dealing with with um, with issues such as, as as what happened is is one of the main um, things that surprised people um, when village councils um, meet. Uh, whatever penalties are, are meted out. Um, there's always room for um, uh, mitigation and ability of the charged people to 
um, or the accused to seek lighter um, penalties. In this case, um, there has been no chance of that at all, with the PM saying that um, Parliament is different from decision-making at village level, at family matai meeting level. So those are things that need to be addressed, I think. And I guess, yeah, you make a good point. The Prime Minister is setting the stage for a higher standard. So what can we expect to see going forward with this new government and way of doing things? I think it, it, it's concern, I think, that this will turn into a tit-for-tat um, type of, of confrontation within Parliament. I'm not sure where the HRPP will take this, but I suspect that they won't... Uh, sit back and, 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 you know, that there may be some court cases coming up um, uh, with regards to uh, to the decisions made yesterday. Um, FAST has set um, precedents that uh, would be hard to, to maintain uh, if it happens to members of their own party. There's no room um, for... You know, um, people to to seek um, lighter penalties um, because of what's been said. I think it's important to to note that um, uh, one of the things that Prime Minister Fiume, um spoke strongly about yesterday was um, the harmony agreement the courts uh, recently referred to in the contempt of court case against Dula Epa and uh, the senior HRPP uh, member. I think that indicates that there will continue to be strong suspicions between the two parties, and it does not bode well for the future in terms of harmonious uh, relationship between the two parties. Thank you for your time. Tuvalu is mourning the death of its Deputy Prime Minister, Alapati Taupo. Tuvalu's acting Prime Minister, Seve Painu, says his country has lost an important figure after its Deputy Prime Minister died while attending a community event on Monday. Taupo, who was 60, was a VIP guest on the island of Nui to commemorate the 100th anniversary of the foundation of the chapel on the island. But soon after delivering his remarks, he collapsed in the meeting hall and could not be resuscitated. RNZ Pacific Regional Correspondent Calvin Anthony spoke with Acting Prime Minister Seve Bainu about the loss and Taupo's legacy. He was one of the VIP guests invited by the island of Nui community to commemorate the 100th anniversary of the foundation of the chapel on the island uh, when the foundation was first laid, the main chapel on the island. So yesterday they had uh, a festivity to commemorate uh, that uh, milestone. Uh, during the, the dancing, the entertainment, you know, he stood up and made uh, some remarks uh, in the meeting hall where everyone uh, on the island and the community were congregating. And he was very excited when he made those 
remarks. And just immediately after those uh, saying those remarks, and when he sat down, that was when uh, you know he had that sort of uh, shock that that came to his uh, body that made him collapsed, and unfortunately that uh, he couldn't be uh, resuscitated. An extremely sad occasion for Mr. Taupo and his family. Do we have any information on his funeral arrangements? Plans are still being put together by the government uh, in conjunction with uh, the family. At this stage, uh, it is not uh, uh, confirmed yet as to when exactly is the state funeral. Now, just uh, focusing a bit on, on his contribution as a government minister and, and the deputy prime minister, how important was he to the government and, and his contribution to the politics in Tuvalu? Even before he uh, entered the parliament, Mr. Taupo was uh, an important uh, public official. He he rose up the public service ranks up to the highest level, uh, became a permanent secretary, and following that, he was appointed as the deputy permanent representative to the United Nations uh, in New York. And after serving uh, time in New York, he was then promoted to uh, ambassador level in Taipei, so the Tuvalu ambassador to Taiwan. He had served uh, with distinction throughout his public service career, and then he entered uh, parliament uh, the last three years and was appointed uh, deputy prime minister and minister responsible for fisheries and trade. He held uh, a very important ministerial portfolio in cabinet as deputy Prime Minister, but also in terms of fisheries being the single highest source of revenue and income to Tuvalu under his portfolio of fisheries. So he played and, and held uh, a very important uh, role within the government and within cabinet. Indeed, an important uh, and influential figure, as you say. Now, uh, what happens next in terms of uh, his successor being appointed uh, to the role of uh, Deputy PM? So the constitution, the Tuvalu uh, constitution requires when there is a vacancy in the um, office of a, a member of parliament uh, constituency, then that constituency would then need to go through a by-election. So it is roughly about uh, four to five weeks uh, process for the by-election to uh, be called. So that's what uh, will unfold uh, following the laying of his uh, body to his permanent uh, resting place. Uh, then that by-election process uh, would be then triggered following that uh, time. Uh, so roughly we are looking at uh, about a month and a half before uh, his uh, successor uh, can be elected from his uh, island constituency of Nanumanga. Researchers have finished mapping the mouth of the underwater Tongan volcano that in January produced Earth's biggest atmospheric explosion in over a century. University of Auckland volcanologist Shane Cronin led research into the widespread impact of Hungatonga Hungahapai's eruption and tsunami event. He spent the past two and a half months in the Pacific Kingdom, seconded to its Geological Services Department. The report, released earlier this week, assesses the eruption and makes recommendations for future resilience. The caldera, or crater hole, created in Hungatonga Hungahapai is now four kilometres wide and drops to a base of 150 metres below sea level. Before the eruption, the base was at a depth of 150 metres. Shane Cronin joins me now. Welcome to Pacific Waves. Tell me, what are the main findings? So, um, 
I presented on results from our ash survey, our tsunami survey and our marine survey on, uh, in relation to the Hunga eruption. So the highlight findings are that we mapped the surface of the, uh, the ocean floor of the Honga caldera. And so we were able to see a very, very deep caldera at the top of the volcano. And so essentially we've mapped the sort of central part of the volcano and um, seen that the rim of the volcano and the upper flanks are intact but that the central part's got this very, very deep caldera. So it's about four kilometres across and about 860 metres deep. So imagine a very, very deep hole scooped out the top of a mountain and that's what it looks like. What will be done about this information now going forward? So the findings I've been presenting uh, have been about what's going on at the caldera now, so the state of that caldera, the um, the observations that we made as we were uh, doing the survey. We also saw little um, little pots of activity, so little spots where there are little vents um, uh, erupting at the moment with gas and some with um, solid particles as well. And also we were seeing evidence of active landslides uh, since the eruption. So that we were basically saying that there is a, a series of local hazards uh, at the site and that um, you know people should be very wary of, of um, small-scale tsunami and currents and various other things uh, at uh, in and around the volcano at the moment. But that large-scale activity uh, now with a very deep caldera as present seems unlikely. This was a one-in-a-thousand-year eruption. What are the chances that we see a repeat or something similar? Absolutely. People are scared that there will be a, a continuation or another type of uh, another eruption of, of a similar type or scale. And it's understandable. I mean, it was a horrendous uh, event. It was an experience that shocked and scared a lot of people. But I will say, you know, to, to reassure people that the uh, caldera is very deep, and after an eruption of this very large size, and so we estimated the caldera um, has a, a volume of around six and a half cubic kilometres of material removed uh, or collapsed at that site. So that, you know, after such a fundamental change and an enormous eruption, uh, we wouldn't expect there to be ongoing big events, but the, we would expect there to be sort of follow-up small-scale eruptions because there's always a bit of magma left behind and there's always a little bit of residual heat. So slowly activity will return, but it will never return to that huge scale that we saw in the beginning of of January. It needs hundreds of years to rebuild to that stage. So in terms of chances, yes, in future, in the geological sort of timescale, we would expect the volcano to continue doing what it has done in the past and that sort of build up to these big things. But in the short term, you know, in the 10 years, 20 years, 50 years from now, we would expect only very small-scale activity of the likes that I've seen uh, in the latest survey. That is some welcome relief. Looking ahead, what are your messages or key information for countries that would like to support Tonga in this recovery? So I think the big things at the moment for the Tongans to consider, and particularly in, in relation to overseas assistance, is considering what's the next steps in terms of land use and um, 
land regulation, if you like, because um, a lot of the most severely affected areas uh, were uh, on the western side of Tongatapu um, and um, where there were a lot of resorts. And so already um, in places like Ha'apai, so some uh, people from the island of Mangal, have, um, there's, there's a big resettlement scheme for those people uh, to relocate onto the island of Ewa, onto high ground. And, you know, that's a very, that's a very positive move in terms of reducing risk and, um, you know, people living in very low-lying areas. And that's the sort of thing needs to be thought about. You know, other people living in low-lying areas, you know, what are the alternatives in, in, in the future? For them, and also, what are the future alternatives for using land that you know has essentially the slate has been wiped clean? I mean, all the resorts of the western side have been damaged and destroyed or razed to the ground. And so, you know, is it the wise move to move, to build back the same sort of thing again? Uh, are there other ideas out there, such as you know day use or you know building a beautiful sort of uh, amenities uh, in, in, in places like that that can be, you know, enjoyed during the day, but perhaps not where people are living or where um, or where accommodation uh, is being built. So those are the sorts of questions I think that really need to be seriously looked upon before, you know, large-scale redevelopment uh, goes on. Thank you for joining us. Candidates are still being nominated for the Papua New Guinea national elections, with that process due to end later on Thursday. PNG journalist Scott Wade is covering the event, and he told Don Wiseman that while the poll itself is still more than six weeks from starting, campaigning is well underway. Especially in the highlands, uh, in Morbe, it's a bit quieter, but uh, the crowds, are, and, and in Port Moresby, the crowds are large, fairly large. What about behaviour? So far, there hasn't been a lot of reports of violence. Uh, police are out in full force along with the defence force. Uh, and, and a lot of that concentration of troops is in the highlands. Port Moresby behaviour is sort of very level-headed, not so much uh, trouble reported. I guess in the highlands, we, we had uh, a, one incident where Pangu party flag was burnt. Um, one act report of an accident. I haven't checked the police yet of uh, if there's been any other reports of accidents. Um, so that's, it's relatively quiet compared to other elections. I haven't seen this spike of violence like we've seen. We may see it later, but I'm, I'm hoping it doesn't happen. The security that's around, are they obvious? Are they brandishing guns or are they being quite discreet? That's always something that accompanies elections. I mean, police go out in full force with weapons, and that's a reality in Papua New Guinea. We always have security forces very visible so that it acts as a deterrent. At this early stage, can you get a picture of how things are going to uh, break down come July? Of course, it's a long way away, isn't it? But do you have an impression of how things might go? In terms of party politics, who's going to be able to surround themselves with the biggest block? Realistically speaking, the People's National Congress has endorsed over 90 candidates, so that's that's a force to be reckoned with itself. Um, so 90 candidates all over the country means that there's a higher possibility of PNC, you know, backing on its chances to get a lot more members into parliament. Pangu has also put out a list of candidates. Surprisingly, a lot, a lot of women in the Pangu group, at least five, I think, 
the other group that was pretty strong before uh, the passing of Sam Basel was the ULP. ULP has also put out a number of candidates, but I think the party too much, given the amount of resources and the number of people that they're nominating is uh, the People's National Congress. For Morobe province where I live, there's a uh, Quite a few women have nominated. I am yet to speak to the women who nominated. One of them's Jennifer Bain, former NGO worker. The other one's the electrical engineer, Inkewes Zuranok, all contesting for the regional seat. And uh, a few women in the highlands, in the Miller Bay province, in New Island, all contesting for the seat. So the, there's an increase in the number of women contesting for various seats around the country. That brings us to the end of Pacific Waves for today. Remember, you can download us free to your device from Spotify, iHeart or Apple Podcasts. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can also find us. Tall fast, so far.